0: We're in a section in Mark's Gospel that I've called Counting the Cost, especially because there are four lessons here where Jesus is teaching the challenges and the difficulties of following Him. If you remember in our last lesson we looked at from Mark's Gospel in Mark 9, uh, He taught something uh, very challenging about not making ourselves first. The disciples were arguing along the way over who's the greatest You can just kind of imagine that one is, you know, I'm more important than you. I'm more valuable. And here the disciples are arguing in chapter nine. And and Jesus then tells them, uh, you need to make yourself the least. You need to make yourself last of all and servant of all. And where we are now in chapter 9 of Mark and verse 42, you will notice that I had to break the lesson right there, but that was not a natural break. There was no reason to stop there except we all needed to go home. Uh, So uh, I want you to keep that idea in your mind that that's what our context is. Jesus is talking to the disciples about making yourself last of all, being servant of all, being the least. Remember in that scene... He had grabbed this little child and put it in the midst of them and said to receive others like you're receiving this child. We mentioned that was about status, that you're lowering yourself. It's not about what you get from other people. So often that's what we do is, well, I'll do something because I know there'll be something in return coming back to me. He says, no, you lower yourself. You make yourself servant of all, last of all. Lower yourself in status like one of these children. And that's where we pick up then in, in Mark 9 and verse 42, as was just just read for us. And he now approaches a topic that we don't like to talk about. <laughs> It's interesting that Jesus is the one that mentions this. Uh, If we were to be on a crusade of trying to gather multitudes of people, I don't suppose that this would be our topic. I don't suppose that we'd go, well, let's just have a healthy discussion about unquenchable fire and eternal punishment. That we'd probably want to avoid this one. In fact... I would submit to you we would avoid all four of these topics probably about making yourself last, unquenchable fire. The next paragraph is divorce and remarriage. And the paragraph after that is selling all that you have to follow him. I think we would probably just go, hmm, let's not worry about those things. This is a tough section of text that Jesus is teaching about what it looks like to count the cost. What it looks like to be a disciple of his. And verse 42 Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. So you see the little one imagery connects back to that prior paragraph of one who is a follower of Jesus, one who is a believer in God. And he says, I want you to just think about this for a moment. It would be better to have a great millstone hung over over around your neck and tossed into the sea than it would be to cause someone to stumble and fall, to cause one to sin. I think that's important for us to think about for a minute because I think when you read that, you might say that sounds a little extreme. Uh, That sounds like a a lot to be able to say. It would be better to be cast into the sea with no hope of coming back up than to cause someone to sin. But what Jesus is doing as is he, he opens this paragraph of teaching and He speaks to this, it is, number one, a reminder about the importance of not putting ourselves first, about not thinking about ourselves. To consider your spiritual walk and be concerned about the other person. Don't cause another person to sin. Don't cause them to stumble. Very befitting of... What we've done in 1 Corinthians 8-10 through in our work on Wednesday night is that very idea is that you would be aware of the faith of other people. It matters what we do toward each other. And it matters if we are damaging the faith of others. It matters if we cause a person to sin. It matters if we cause them to fall away. And not only that, to be able to say it with the gravity, the severity of what he says here indicates the weight of sin. It would be better to have this millstone hung around your neck and be cast into sea than, than cause another person to sin. It shows the severity of sin, the seriousness of it. Uh, so often I think we can make light of sin. Sin's not a big deal. doesn't really matter. So what if you cause somebody to sin? So what if they fall away? What's the big deal about sin? This is why Jesus uses her hyperbole like this to try to communicate this idea of how serious the nature of sin is. In fact, you notice that that's how it transitions into verses 43 to 48 about the serious nature of sin. And verse 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. For it is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. One, I think you see with this repetition for emphasis that Jesus is describing the battle that is to be waged against sin. It is so important for us to understand the gravity of sin and to be willing to fight against it. Now, I believe at this point everybody recognizes that the imagery of verses 43 to 48 is an exaggeration for effect. And I don't think that's too hard to dissuade, because where does sin begin? Inside. (laughs) Recognize that that was the ultimate problem. And so the idea is not that we're going to literally be cutting things off, but that Jesus is emphasizing we're supposed to be engaged in a radical battle against sin. And I think so often we forget that this is the battle that we are to be dealing with, that there is a costly nature in following him. That following Jesus is not just simply Jesus saying, well, I think it's kind of important that you should consider stopping sinning. Or, you know, my suggestion to you is sin is a bad idea. I want you to see how severe he describes sin. Here's how important it is. Sin is what keeps you from entering life. Sin is what keeps you from entering the kingdom of God. Sin is what keeps us from enjoying the blessings of relationship with God. That's how important it is. I think that's important for us to consider because we live in a time right now where essentially I think sin is not considered real anymore. (laughs) You know, sin is just kind of an antiquated, puritanical nonsense of a bygone era. You know, and we're much more enlightened and forward-thinking these days. And we recognize now that, you know, sin is is nonsense. And certainly that the idea of hell is nonsense also. You know, that certainly doesn't exist. And, and if it does, it's certainly for only... You know, the five worst people that have ever lived that you would quantify in your mind. There's only going to be those really terrible, terrible people that are going to go there. It is interesting the way Jesus frames this. Jesus, in his description about this, notice what he describes it as, like in verse 43. He describes this as unquenchable fire. Verse 48, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Interestingly, that's a quotation from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah, when you think about the book as... Most of that book, in this first, particularly in the beginning of it, is a condemnation against Israel for their sins, but it is filled with messages of comfort from chapter 2, like we looked at this morning in class, about the mountain of the Lord that's going to come. Chapter 40, comfort, comfort for my people. A chapter we know really well, Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant who's going to come and bring forgiveness of sins. But the very last line... Of the book of Isaiah is that lie is this condemnation on those who rebel against God. That's how the prophecy of Isaiah ends after all of that comfort it ends with where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. And so here's Jesus relating off of that and helping us understand the severity of sin and the gravity of it in our lives. During Old Testament times, this this place was this, this word that's used as something that was understood as a burning trash can of sorts, kind of a landfill where the fires would burn and destroy things. But it came to be understood by the first century as just the judgment of God was understood in that symbolic nature that God is going to judge. And that's what Isaiah is even relating on is that God is going to bring about this judgment. Now, as we read this paragraph, I just want you to think about why does Jesus do all this? Why is Jesus describing all this? Why describe, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into eternal life without a hand, if that's what it takes than to go into unquenchable fire and eternal punishment with both hands. And if it's what it takes to take out an eye, then take out an eye to be able to go into eternal life rather than go into eternal punishment with both of your eyes or your foot. He uses that. Three different images. What is the big takeaway that Jesus wants us to really grasp from this? And I submit to you it's one big thing is that hell's not worth it. That's the big idea of what you're supposed to be hearing as he describes this. It is better to cut off anything in this life that is going to keep us from eternal life. That it is worth cutting off whatever needs to be cut off, whatever causes to sin, whatever is the obstacle, whatever is keeping us from following him, we must cut those things off. And I want us to just think about the radical measures that we ought to be willing to take and ask ourselves the question why are we unwilling to do that? Why are we unwilling to take extraordinary measures and to take deep radical steps? To wage the war against sin. To be able to cut off temptations. Areas of weakness that we know that we suffer from. We know we fall. Things that we know tempt us. Things that we know catch us again and again and again. Jesus is saying we need to wage a radical war against it and cut those things off. And I just want us for the next few minutes to consider why don't we do that? I would suppose if we were to put this into some modern terms, we would recognize that what Jesus is telling us is that it would be worth getting rid of our smartphones if we're using them for sin. It'd be worth getting rid of the internet if that's what's causing us to sin. It'd be worth not going to the movies or having cable or having streaming services if that's what's causing us to sin. Think about all the different ways that we would have to consider what Jesus is telling us. It'd be worth being tracked on our devices to hold us accountable if it would keep us from sinning. It'd be worth quitting our jobs if it would keep us from sinning. It'd be worth changing careers if it would keep us from sinning. It would be worth not working with certain people if it would keep us from sinning. It would be worth keeping away from certain relationships. If it would keep us from sinning, it'd be worth not even working with the opposite gender. If there was someone that that was going to cause us to sin, you see the the nature of what Jesus is getting at is a willingness to change whatever we need to change in our lives to ensure that we will not continue in sin to do whatever it takes. And so I'm going to then ask the question again. Why do we refuse to make those radical choices? Why do we refuse to cut off those things that we know is going to be a temptation? We know we could sit down on a piece of paper and write out, I know tomorrow that's going to be a problem, or this afternoon, or tonight. I know that's going to be an issue. And I think the point that Jesus is getting at in, in teaching us this is the reason why And the answer is simple, though hard to accept is ultimately is that we love our sin more than Him. Ultimately, what we are saying is we prefer these sins. It's worth me keeping these various things in my life, keeping these relationships, keeping these circumstances, doing these certain things, possessing these certain objects, whatever it is, that's worth it to me. Because that's the picture that Jesus is trying to get us to think about is what is worth your soul? Because Jesus is saying hell's not worth it. Unquenchable fire is not worth it. And ultimately, what we are doing is we are saying actually it is. It's actually worth it to us. <laughs> By whatever mental hoops we jump through, we decide, well, that's not really a sin or there really isn't unquenchable fire. There's really not going to be a judgment or this sin is okay or God understands or it's not a big deal that I keep these certain activities, these certain sins, these kinds of behaviors and habits. I think it was really interesting and fascinating to consider the weight of what Jesus is saying here is we are choosing unquenchable fire instead of life. We are choosing unquenchable fire instead of the kingdom of God. We are saying that we love our sins more than we love eternity. And I hope that we would frame our life decisions in that box. When temptation comes, recognize what Jesus is laying out here. That's the choice we're making. We are saying eternity, life, Kingdom of God, relationship with God, is not as important as the sin that I'm about to commit. I'd rather do this. That's how we wage this battle against sin. Is to measure the outcome and measure the weight of what's happening here. It's a critical decision that's being faced before us. And that we wouldn't lose the weight of what Jesus says. It would be better to enter into eternal life than even without a hand. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so what should I be willing to cut off in my life if Jesus says even hands, feet, and eyes are on the chopping block here? What am I going to keep in my life? That constantly is a temptation. That constantly is a trigger to sin. It constantly presses before me and tempts me day in and day out. And I'm battling with and I'm warring against. And I just ask, why are you keeping it there? Why are you keeping it? Because I think the good news of this, this teaching, the good news of this paragraph... It's by Jesus saying this, that Jesus is empowering us in the battle against sin. I want you to notice that Jesus does not say, well, and if your hand causes you to sin, man, that's a real bummer. And I don't know what to do about that. You know, sin does that. Devil's pretty tough. And I guess that's just the way things go. You know, sometimes we resign ourselves to sin. Well, you know, that's the way it is. I'm only human. Things are kind of tough. What are we supposed to do? I mean, we all have to have these things. So what do you want me to do about it? Right? As if we never lived without them, Or we all would have to have TV or we always have to have the movies or we always have to have whatever it is. That's the stumbling block. Notice that Jesus is empowering us here. There's nothing that is too great for us to not overcome by the power of God. There's nothing being put forward that Jesus says. Now, if something causes you to stumble and sin, except this, you know, this, this one right here, you know, but these other things. No, there's nothing. There is nothing that is too great for us that we cannot overcome by the power of God. And I hope that we would see that as an encouragement, because often what we do with our sins is we make excuses, We say, well, you know, I have to do these certain things or I have to be around these certain things. We want to make excuses in such a way so that we indicate our sin is too strong. And I think one of the words that is often used in that that I want to be careful about that we should think about. Sometimes we talk about sin addictions, and we ought to recognize that that should not equate in our mind's helplessness. There's no doubt. You can give yourself over to something so that your body, your flesh, and your desires are constantly wanting it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But Jesus does not come along and say, but there are certain things that you can't cut out of your life because you can't help it. We should see this as a Positive that ultimately what Jesus is telling us is that we are responsible for our actions. And ultimately what we are doing and the reason why that we are addicted to something is not because we don't have power over it, but because we've willfully given ourselves to the power of it. We have just given it over to it. We're saying, I'm just going to be enslaved to this. And we mentally tell ourselves, I don't want to do this. But we do. We <coughs> do. I've made the point to us many, many times. It's worth making it here. Everybody in this room, right here included, everybody in this room does what they want to do. At the end of the day, all of us do what we want to do. The problem is the battle of the desires. We have bad, wicked, evil desires that we're battling against. But at the end of the day, we're doing what we want to do. We're giving ourselves over to the things that we want to do. And we want to qualify it and give it a label, and a name, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, Jesus says, we're responsible. We have to make a decision. And we need to be doing whatever it takes to fight against sin. And Jesus does not describe this as something easy, does He? He describes it as something radical. It's going to take some serious, radical changes. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take some serious cutting off, is exactly what he describes. But ultimately, I think if we're honest about it, what we are doing is we are simply saying, I don't want to change. I will verbalize I want to change, but ultimately I don't want to. I have a good proof of that. All of us for the new year, we all want to lose 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds, whatever, right? We're all in. Oh, yeah, I'll verbal, we'll all verbalize that to each other. Let's all lose weight. How many of us really want to do that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I want to do it magically. Right? I, I want to do it, but just I'll wake up one day and I'll never have these troubles anymore. That's how we we battle sin sometimes. Oh, yeah, I don't want to sin. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm I'm sorrowful about those sins. But then tomorrow comes and we haven't made any changes. We're not doing anything about it. We just keep going. If we're going to win the battle against sin and take this empowerment that Jesus says to go to battle against it, we have to recognize that we are warring with our desires and that ultimately what we are doing is we are saying, I want to keep my sin." And I hope you would challenge your minds with that today. That Whatever the area of weakness, whatever the area of temptation, whatever it is that the battle you're struggling with, to consider for yourself, is it ultimately a battle of desire? That Yes, I say and mentally affirm that I want to stop those things, but I'm unwilling to make life changes to actually make it stop. I'm not willing to do anything so that there will be a different outcome. We have a societal joke about that, right? If you keep doing the same thing, expecting a different outcome, (laughs) right? And yet we do that with sin all the time. We just go into each day and let the whole flurry of temptations all hit us all at the same time all over again. And we wonder, why did I fall again? Well, have you changed anything? Have you gone to battle against it? Have you made any adjustments whatsoever? Have you cut anything off? Have you made some kind of accountability? Have you thrown something away? Have you done whatever it takes so that you can get yourself into a place to not do that anymore? James 1 again identifies that power is within us. If you remember, James 1 tells us that those enticements and those temptations come from the desires of the heart. The war is sitting right here in the heart. We have to desire God enough to want to change. We have to desire God enough to change what we're doing and what we're saying. We have to be willing to cut things out. And that's not pleasant. Jesus didn't indicate that cutting hands and feet would be a pleasant idea. That's not that you know the imagery doesn't sound pleasant, does it? The idea is not that it's pleasant, the sacrifice won't hurt, but what he's saying is hell is not worth it. Whatever sin that we're in, whatever it is that we keep going back to again and again and again, Jesus is trying to say it's not worth it. And I think we could all raise our hands and we'd all say we know that. Because whatever the sin is that we're dealing with, there is the temporary joy, the temporary comfort, the temporary satisfaction, or the temporary thrill, whatever it is. And then when it's over, what happens? Well, first it's over. <laughs> it doesn't give you what, you what you thought it was going to. And now you're back to that emptiness again and you're looking for the next thing. We know it's not worth it. It doesn't last. And yet we plunge ourselves back into it again and again. Ultimately, we need to want Jesus more than we want sin. Look at verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Well, that's a picture. Everyone will be salted with fire. The imagery hearkens to the sacrificial system where Under the law of Moses, all of the offerings had to have salt on it to be pleasing to God. And so the imagery is is given to us here that ultimately we're being put to the test. Everything, everyone is going to be salted by fire. We're being put under a test. We are being tested with every trial and every temptation. Just a little bit of fire being salted on us. What a neat picture that is. Have you ever thought about temptation that way? It's like you're being tested right now. Here comes your test. Here comes your temptation right now. And what are you going to do with it? Jesus is very upfront. We are going to be tempted and tested. There's no pretending that that's not going to happen. We shouldn't be surprised at that. We are all going to be tempted today at something. Perhaps all different things. We're all going to be tempted today. And if God gives us another day, I'd say we can add to the list of the things in life that you can guarantee that are promised to you. It's death, taxes, and temptation. It's it's going to happen tomorrow. There should be no surprise by that. And Jesus is saying that's what's going to happen. But now watch Verse 50 salt is good but if the salt has lost its saltiness how will you make it salty again that is a huge thing when we're unwilling to cut off these temptations and causes for sin we're losing our saltiness that should make sense we're becoming more molded to the world, more accepting of our sin. Have you noticed that about sin? The more you do it, the more you justify, it, and the easier it becomes. You lose your saltiness. First time, you're guilt ridden, and but every time you give yourself to that, you're losing saltiness. And that's what Jesus is picturing here is the goal has to be holiness. If salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? We are allowing ourselves to become less influential in the world because we're not putting sin to death. We must put to death the old self, put on this new self. We're given so many pictures of the need to strive for holiness and to press forward in our unwavering allegiance to Jesus. And I want you to notice how verse 50 kind of brings all of this full circle. Watch how verse 50 then ends. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. That comes full circle all the way back to verse 42. Don't cause other people to sin. Be at peace with one another. Watch out for each other. Your behaviors can cause other people to sin and fall away. Be salty. Don't lose your salt. Be a follower of him. I think it's so important for us to consider that the picture for us is twofold as we wrap up what these, these two teachings do together. Two big pictures given to us. Number one, to be a disciple of Jesus means that we make ourselves last. We will be servant of all. We will be aware of other people's faith. We will be aware of their weaknesses. We will not be a cause for sin. We are willing to make ourselves insignificant for the gospel. We will do what is for the best interest of others. We don't assert ourselves. We do not put ourselves forward. It's not about us. It's about others. It's about the gospel. It's about the faith of others. It's about their souls. That would be one of our primary thoughts of how we live our lives as a disciple is that we would recognize that we are to be servants of all that we give to others what they need and would never do something to cause them to sin. And then number two, to tell ourselves again and again, unquenchable fire is not worth it. the consequences for our sins are not worth it. You visualize the day as the Scriptures picture of all of us standing before God. And I'd like for you just to imagine trying to explain how you thought this particular sin was worth it. How was this worth it? And we ultimately told God, these pleasures in this life were more important than eternity with you. That's the decision that we are making when we refuse to tear sin out, to cut out the things that cause sin. It's not worth it. Eternity with Jesus is better than sexual immorality now, adultery now, divorce now, pornography now, malice now, anger now, evil now, filling our desires now, or anything else you can think of as a sin trigger in your life. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Satan is telling us every day It's worth it. Make the exchange. Make the trade. We're forfeiting everything that God has promised to us. Please consider where you are today. Are you willing to make the radical changes that Jesus is describing here? To truly be a follower of His. What in your life can you point at and say, that is the thing that causes me to sin over and over and over again. This is my area of weakness. This is where I fall. This is my temptation. Make a real, valuable, Spiritual 2019 resolution. I'm going to change everything so that I can cut that out of my life. Make hard, practical decisions, make them in concrete, observable, definable changes. It's not valuable for us to start next year and go, I'm going to not sin as much. That's too vague. (laughs) It's not going to work. Observable, definable change. I have to change this and this and this. I need to get rid of this and I need to unplug that and I need to throw away this and I need to change that in my life and change that relationship and maybe get rid of that and do that differently. Lay it out. Because hell's not worth it. Can we help you today? Can we help you in the process? If you need to make changes in your life, I hope that today you will set your life right with God, that you would pray to God for the forgiveness of your sins, that you would confess your sins to Him, that you would be truly repentant of those things and say, here's the changes I'm going to now make. I'm going to do something differently this year. I'm deleting things. I'm changing things. I'm throwing things away. I'm turning things up. I'm making all of these things so that I can be more holy, and more faithful to you. Make those things before God. If you want our health, There's nobody here that's going to look at you and go, well, I can't believe you have those sins. (laughs) Anybody who says that is fooling themselves. Here's 1 John 1. If you say you have no sin, you're a liar. (laughs) The truth is not in you. The reason we're here together is to help each other in that. Friends, this is a hospital. We're trying to help each other get well, help each other reach that goal. We want to help you do that. That's what we're here for. That's what Dan and I are here for. That's what everybody is, is here for that, to help you in that process. If you want to respond to the God's invitation anyway, that you can come to him, be a follower of him and serve him, won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?